Okay. Well, so uh, I want to welcome everybody for, uh, to, uh, to come. Uh, believe it or not, I think that uh, the 13 principles was one of the first uh, classes or series of classes that we gave on Tuesday nights um, years and years and years and years uh, ago. Um, this was even before I would have dated exactly what it was. I'd have to go in the cross space to pull out the old cassette tapes, for those of us who are old enough to remember what those are, uh, when they were uh, recorded, uh, to look at the, uh, the exact dates. But I figure that uh, now is probably a good time to go ahead and revisit the, uh, the principles. It's something which is, uh, which is worthwhile. Really, I have an ulterior motive as far as uh, all of this is concerned, as far as our exploration, what will be the next uh, number of weeks of exploration of these, uh, these principles, and that is, is that uh, ultimately I want this to be able to swing around to davening. I want to be able to, uh, to, uh, to tap into davening on a, a deeper level, and in order to do so, so we really have to have, uh, as I've been uh, talking about and dancing around uh, for the past number of weeks and months, um, uh, everything related to our relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, everything relation, uh, uh, involving our connection with Hashem, is really uh, rooted in attachment. And if one is going to have a good attachment, one is going to have a good relationship, so by definition, one has to know who they are relating to. And oftentimes I think we approach davening from the perspective of uh, there are certain needs which I have, certain things which I want, and therefore I'm turning to the one which uh, has the power to go ahead and grant that. And in that way, we sort of um, focus on a single particular aspect of the relationship we have with Hashem, and that is him as the provider. So when we say, for example, the phrase, Baruch HaTo Hashem, and we think about the word Baruch in terms of its meaning of HaKadosh Baruch Hu being the source of, of all things which are uh, of all blessing in the world and all uh, potential uh, bracha which exists in the world, that he is that source. So that is but one aspect of, if we could use the term, of his personality. But it's not necessarily something that we're going to have a deep relationship with, a personal relationship with. He's a provider. That is one of the things which he does, but he's much bigger than that. He's much greater than that. And uh, uh, it limits the relationship we're going to have with, with Hashem if we only see him from that, uh, from that perspective. So a lot of what we're going to try and do is going to be trying to work our way through, at least through the, uh, the first five principles, work our way through the, uh, the material in those principles to know, to get a sense of knowing who Hashem is, and then hopefully, once we know who Hashem is, we will be able to then connect with him on a deeper level, a more meaningful level, something which is uh, hopefully we'll be able to, uh, to take with us long after we forget the details of these, uh, of these classes, of the, of the series, but the relationship hopefully will remain intact and will remain a regular part of our lives so that every time we, uh, we enter into a tefillah, we enter into a, a prayer, or when we get to that private conversation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it will be with an understanding of who we are relating to. So that is the, uh, the, the, the uh, long-term goal, which I, uh, I hope we'll be able to, uh, to, uh, to achieve and to be able to, uh, to accomplish. And the short-term goal is going to be to go through these uh, 13 principles so that we know exactly uh, what, uh, what are the fundamentals of belief, what it is that we are expected to believe, so before we get to them, so there's a, a bit of an introduction, which I think is, uh, which I, I feel is in order. 
And that is that we have to uh, understand that uh, the Rambam was the one, uh, many great thinkers and many great writers and many great scholars uh, and, uh, and Rabbanim uh, in, uh, in the, the history of the Jewish people. So they come from the, uh, the perspective of they, they, they innovate very great things. And, uh, and every generation, there's somebody who's going to innovate something which is new. And uh, those innovations, sometimes they are well-received, sometimes they uh, seem a bit controversial. But over time, uh, there's a, uh, Hashem has a way of directing things in a way where important stuff is going to be able to make it through the peer review and is going to emerge as something which is authoritative and something which is, which is binding. And as we'll discuss tonight, the Rambam's 13 Principles is an example of that. Prior to the Rambam, uh, there wasn't a, uh, a, a scholar, there wasn't somebody in the Mishnah or in the Medrash or in the Gemara or previous to the Rambam who went ahead and formulated 13 core principles of belief. This is something which is, I don't want to say it's the, the Rambam made it up because he identifies sources for each one of the, uh, the principles. And those, uh, those sources are, uh, are from, uh, from Gemaras, are from, uh, from Shas and whatnot. But to go ahead and organize them and to identify these 13 principles as opposed to anything else. So this is the Rambam's innovation. This is one of the major contributions that the Rambam uh, uh, had. And uh, he did so, uh, the original uh, uh, formation of it related to his commentary to the Mishnah. One of the works which the Rambam did is he wrote a, a, a complete uh, commentary to the Mishnah, to all of uh, Shas Mishnayas. And there is, the left for those who have gone through the, uh, the cycle in Dafyomi, so you know that the last parak of, uh, of uh, Sanhedrin, Parak Chelek is what it's, uh, what it's called, that's the name of the parak. So in that parak, so there's a Mishnah which says, Ko Yisrael Yeshem Chelek Haba, that all of Kla Yisrael has a portion of the world to come. And then after making that broad statement that all of Klai Yisrael has a portion of the world to come, the Mishnah goes ahead and lists certain exceptions to that rule. And a number of those uh, exceptions relate to people who, as a result of either incorrect beliefs or inappropriate actions, things which they are doing, like idolatry or something like that. So such people, people in those categories, lose their portion of the world to come. So everybody enters into the world, in a sense, with that golden ticket, which is going to allow them to be able to enter into the world to come. We'll define the world to come much later on towards the end of the 13 principles. But everybody, who's, uh, everybody who is Jewish has that golden ticket, which is going to give them access to the world to come. But there are things which a person can potentially do, or beliefs which a person could potentially adopt, which will cause them to forfeit that, uh, that golden ticket, and they lose their portion in the world to come. So the Rambam, in his introduction to this particular parak, to this particular chapter of Mishnayas, so he went ahead and he gave a list of principles that a person must believe in, these are not actions which a person has to do or activities which a person has to avoid. These are beliefs which a person must have in order to retain their portion of, their portion of the world to come. So these are like prerequisites, just like if you're going to go into, uh, you know, you, uh, you're going to go into a, uh, a field in graduate school. 
you want to go ahead and pursue a, a, a graduate degree in something. So uh, for many uh, uh, areas of study, so there are prerequisites which you have to have, and if you don't have those prerequisites, so you can't get into the program. So the 13 principles of faith are the, uh, similarly, they are prerequisites which a person has to have in order to be able to qualify, to be able to use their ticket, their golden ticket, in order to be able to get into the world to come. And the Rambam's of the opinion that it's all or nothing. It's not like, listen, if you get 90, uh, you know, 92% because you believe in 12 of the 13 principles, but one of them you just struggle with and it doesn't make sense to you and it doesn't resonate in your mind and you don't believe that, but you figure if you got 12 out of 13, that's a pretty good score on uh, certainly on uh, almost any exam which you, which you take. It's more than 90%. So you should be good to, uh, to go. But the Ramam is of the opinion that it's all or nothing. You have to believe in all 13 principles in order to be able to gain that, uh, that portion of the world to, to come. And uh, that the Rambam uh, actually takes it a step further. Uh, I had said up until now that every person is born with a, uh, uh, with a golden ticket. But the truth is, is that the Rambam uh, maintains that it's possible that a person may be completely ignorant of one of the 13 principles of faith meaning that they were never taught it. Either they, don't, they didn't go to day school, or for some of us that day in day school, they were thrown out of the classroom for that day, so they missed that, uh, that particular lesson, or that week, or maybe even that month. But they weren't there, and they missed a couple of uh, these fundamental, uh, these fundamental uh, ideas. And as a result of that, they, uh, they, 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 they don't know. So such a person, according to the Rambam, even if it's no fault of the person himself, the person just doesn't have that prerequisite, doesn't have that, uh, that, uh, that particular belief, so they're going to lose their share in the, in the world to come. And in that way, that's why the, uh, the prerequisite uh, mushal, the, pre, the, the parable of a prerequisite, is really an important one. Because uh, sometimes it happens that uh, you know, the, the advisor may have forgotten or somebody may have forgotten to give you the information that you needed to take this particular course in order to qualify for the, uh, for the graduate school program. And through no fault of your own, you didn't take it. If somebody told you, you certainly would have taken the prerequisite and you would have qualified. But as a result of the fact that you didn't know, you didn't take that prerequisite. And now you're not going to get the entrance into the, uh, into the program. So Olam Haba is a similar type of thing from the Rambam's uh, perspective. You have to believe in all of them or you're not going to get your uh, a, a share of the world to come. In the Ramban, not the Rambam, Maimonides, but the Ramban, Nachmanides, in his introduction to Eov, so he echoes this, uh, this same idea. He says that it's possible that you could have a person and uh, we see this very often. We see people expressing this idea that they're not going to be necessarily so careful about mitzvahs. They're not going to do mitzvahs. That's not really their thing, but they have a good Jewish heart. And they think that having a good Jewish heart and being kind and being generous and being all sorts of, all sorts of good character traits, that that itself is going to be the prerequisites and that itself is going to qualify them for their portion of the, of, of the world to come. But the Ramban says that a person who conducts himself with beautiful and good, uh, and good deeds for his entire life, but if that person either, for example, denies the existence of God, so such a person is not going to receive reward for all of those mitzvahs which, uh, which he did. 
person could have been incredibly, incre incredibly generous. I'm not saying that we paskin like this, uh, but just the, uh, the, the idea you should be familiar with, that a person can be extremely generous with their, uh, with their resources, and they give lots of tzedakah, and they're supportive of lots of important things. But if a person, such a person is missing some of these core fundamental beliefs, so that itself can be potentially grounds for forfeiting the, uh, the share of the world to, uh, to come. And the question is, why? Right? That's, a, that's a very harsh thing, a harsh position for the Rambam and the Ramban to go ahead and adopt that a person does many of the mitzvahs, the interpersonal mitzvahs, a person may even excel at these things, and yet they run the risk as a result of faulty beliefs or uh, ignorance of certain fundamental beliefs. They run the risk of their portion of the, uh, of the world to, uh, to come. Uh, uh, so how exactly is that, uh, is that uh, how are we to understand that? And it happens to be that there are, uh, amongst the dissenting opinions which exist, uh, which we'll get to in, uh, as we go through the principles, but there are certain uh, disagreements about whether things are actually fundamental beliefs which cause a person to forfeit their world to come. There is, uh, for, for example, there is a famous disagreement between the Rambam and the Ravid. So the Ravid, for anybody who studied in the halachic works of the, uh, of the Rambam, so you know that the, uh, the just like uh, uh, in the Mishnayis, we have Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, whenever you see their names, so they're going to be at odds with one another. So in the work of the Rambam, so the, the, the two parallel characters of that is going to be the Rambam and the Ravid. And the Ravid has short little comments. You look at the page of the Rambam in his halachic work. So you look at the page of the Rambam and there's short little paragraphs where the Ravid disagrees. And even in those short little paragraphs, there's a, a sentence or two at the most. So the Ravid goes ahead and very often with very biting and stinging uh, words, criticizes the Rambam for positions which he takes, halachic positions which he takes. But in some sections of the Rambam, which are a little bit more philosophical, so for the, uh, the Ravid disagrees with that as well. So one area where they disagree is whether the belief that God is corporeal, whether that God is, uh, 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 has a physical body, has some sort of body, is that considered to be apicorporeal? Or is, that's the Rambam's position, the Ravid holds that it is a, an erroneous position. It's incorrect for a person to think that God has a, a, any sort of a body or anything of that, of that sort. But nonetheless, it is something which if a person were to believe that, it's not grounds for the person to lose their portion of the world to come. And he gives as the very simple explanation, the Torah itself describes God with having human characteristics. The Torah itself describes God as having an outstretched arm. That's what he used to take us out of Mitzrayim. And we find emotions being assigned to God, and we find God's hand, and we find in Gemara's God wearing tefillin, so obviously he has a head and an arm, and all sorts of other things. So if a person takes those things literally, the Ravid says they're wrong, but it's not a reason to go ahead and forfeit and forego their portion of the world to come. But the Rambam and the Ramban don't, uh, don't take that, uh, that, that position. 
they maintain that once you go ahead and uh, you have one of these erroneous beliefs, so uh, despite many of the good things which, which you did, it's going to mean, a, it's going to translate into a forfeiture of a portion of the world to come. So how do we understand that? So there is a famous idea from Rebbe Hanan Wasserman. Bachan Wasserman, Wasserman uh, was killed uh, by the Nazis Yamach Shemam. He was uh, he was killed in the in the in the Holocaust. Uh, he was uh, he is known as one of the if not the outstanding student of the Chavetz Chaim. He had his own yeshiva. It was more what we would refer to, I guess, as a, as a high school uh, than uh, than uh, than a base medrash. But he had uh, he had the, uh, a well known yeshiva with uh, many many hundreds of, uh, of students went uh, in and out of his yeshiva in Baranovich was uh, where, where he was, and so he said the uh, the following that he explained this idea of the Rambam in the Ramban that if a person does lots of mitzvahs but has a flawed belief or is missing one of these fundamentals of belief, they forfeit their world to come. So he explains that based on a halachic principle, a halachic concept called misasek. Misasek, if you remember from, we had it in uh, the Gemara's in Shabbos, the Dafyomi people we had in Gemara's in Shabbos, where this involves where a person is engaged in a particular activity, person performs a mitzvah, for example, but without the intention or the awareness that they're actually doing that mitzvah. So it's something which happens just as they are sort of distracted or they're thinking about something else or they're trying to do something else. And in the course of doing so, they uh, unwittingly went ahead and did a mitzvah. So let's say, for example, a person is, uh, um, uh, is, is trying to blow uh, Beethoven's fifth with his chauffeur. Don't ask me why a person's doing that. When we study uh, Gemara and Halacha, we never ask why a person was doing that. We just know the person was doing that. So you have a person who's going ahead and he is going to uh, try and uh, play Beethoven's fifth on his chauffeur, and he's going to do so. Uh, this was during a year of Corona. So uh, Rosh Hashanah davening ended around uh, 9.30 or so. So he had plenty of time in the rest of the day to go ahead and work on this, uh, you know, perfecting his, uh, his Beethoven's fifth. And he went ahead and he spent much of the day practicing. And uh, it turns out that he blew 100 kolos. He blew a hundred uh, sounds of the shofar. He blew all the necessary tekiyas and all the necessary shvarims and all the necessary truas. And he blew a couple of uh, tekiyah gedolas within it. And he ended up blowing all of the necessary sounds of the shofar. But his intention was not shofar blast. His intention was to play Beethoven's fifth. So halachically, you could put on your, uh, your, uh, your, uh, your pose hat for a minute, your rabbi hat for a minute. If a person trying to play Beethoven's fifth with his shofar, it ends up blowing perfect shofar sounds of tekiyas, shvarim, truas, and tekiyas. So does he get credited with having blown the shofar or listened to the sound of, of, of the shofar or not? So the principle of misasek, this principle, this halachic principle, which we are discussing, tells us that if you were intending to, blow, to play Beethoven's fifth, and it just turns out that either because you were doing it successfully or unsuccessfully, I'm not sure which way it would go, but it turns out that you ended up um, um, uh, uh, sounding the shofar, which uh, with all of the correct sounds to fulfill the mitzvah, you don't get credit for the mitzvah. Because the mitzvah isn't simply doing the action itself. A, an essential part of doing a mitzvah, fulfilling a mitzvah, 
is that one has to have the correct intent to be able to fulfill the mitzvah. One has to want to be doing this for the sake of a mitzvah and not to go ahead and play Beethoven's fifth. So Rabbi Chanan says the same thing as with regards to mitzvahs in general. Mitzvahs ben ar the, the interpersonal mitzvahs, and the mitzvahs which are like a tzedakah and whatnot. He said that they become significant and meaningful when they are done specifically to fulfill the divine command to behave in that way or to, or to do that particular action. So when a person gives tzedakah because Hashem wants us to give tzedakah, Hashem commands us to give tzedakah, that elevates that act from simple charity, for simple goodwill on your part, to an act of tzedakah, fulfillment of, a, of, of an actual mitzvah. But a person who does so because in their mind, this resonates to something which is ethical or something which is moral or some other uh, ulterior motive, which they have, I shouldn't say ulterior motive, other motivation that they have other than to do the divine will. So Bahaman says that that is going to be ultimately categorized as misasek. They're doing the action of the mitzvah, but they have no intention of doing the mitzvah at all as a fulfillment of the divine command. And as a result of that, it's not going to carry the same weight and the same importance and significance as if they had actually uh, done the mitzvah with the intention to fulfill HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will. If you, uh, if you noticed, we've, uh, we've mentioned a number of times, uh, this, uh, I can only recall uh, you know, the past uh, few, but we've mentioned a, a number of times in the past couple of uh, uh, past couple of weeks or or months, this idea of um, the the importance of uh, of realizing that mitzvahs are a means by which we connect to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. These aren't just uh, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and He gives us mitzvahs. Important uh, uh, important idea. That Hakadosh Baruch Hu gives us mitzvahs to do. It's not uh, it's not a game of Simon Says. Hashem says, do this, and we do this. Hashem says, don't do this, and you're not supposed to do that. And everything is going to be, rather than Simon says, it's a game of Hashem says. That's not what the mitzvahs are about, simply to do it because, uh, because Hashem is giving us instructions. Mitzvahs ultimately are, as we've talked about, are to form a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Just like with, your, uh, with, with a spouse or with a parent or with a child. So you're going to behave in a certain way because you want to deepen and enhance and strengthen the relationship that you have with them. Gifts, for example, is, a way, uh, is one means by which one goes ahead and strengthens that, uh, that relationship. So it's not the gift per se, right? It's, it's not the, uh, it's the thought that counts. So it's not the gift per se, which is so important. It's the meaning which the gift represents because it represents a, a, an attempt, in a, an endeavor to go ahead and deepen that relationship with, uh, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that's the way we need to perceive mitzvahs. And therefore, if a person happens to do a mitzvah through no intent of their own, they didn't plan on doing a mitzvah, it just happens to be that that action is a mitzvah, so that is not going to be a fulfillment of the mitzvah itself. Uh, you could have, uh, let's say, a person... Um, uh, uh, um, I don't know. The uh, person leaves their lulav and esrog on the uh, on the dining room table, and uh, somebody comes in and uh, is assigned the task of setting the table, and they pick up the lulav and esrog, not with any intent of the mitzvah whatsoever. I'm not even getting into whether mitzvah strichos kavan or not, whether it's necessary to have intention when uh, when doing mitzvahs or not. But a person picks it up. 
uh, to move it to another location. So they're, they're, they're doing the act of cleaning the dining room table rather than lifting the lul of an esrog in fulfillment of the mitzvah. So that would be an example of misasek, and you could ask the question, does the person actually get credit for doing a mitzvah if all they were trying to do is just move it out of the way so that they could set the table? Does that constitute any sort of mitzvah? Or being that they had intent, they had no intent of the mitzvah whatsoever, their intent was to clean the table, they're not going to get the credit. So that's how the Rambam sees, the Rambam and the Ramban see those mitzvahs which a person does, which are uh, devoid of the intent to, uh, to fulfill the, uh, the, the, the divine will. Okay, so that is, uh, in a sense, that's point number one of, uh, of our introduction. Now, one of the things which we are going to do step-by-step uh, step through these 13 principles is we're going to explain the, uh, if, if it's true what we are saying, that the, all of these, uh, these core beliefs, the, the Rambam's 13 principles are the core beliefs which we have to have, the presumption is, is that each one of them is absolutely necessary and essential in order for a person to conduct themselves as, a, as an observant Jew. And that way, if a person is, is missing, is, is, is lacking one of these, uh, these beliefs, so it will emerge that the person is not going to, there's going to be some flaw in their understanding of God, their understanding of Torah, or their understanding of the mitzvahs themselves. And it's that flaw which is going to be the, uh, the Achilles heel, perhaps, which is going to weaken all of their avoda, all of their service of Hashem, is going to be weakened as a result of that flawed belief. Now, some of the principles, they're going to be quite obvious why uh, they are essential beliefs. Belief in God, belief in the divinity of Torah, it's going to be very difficult to, uh, to connect with any of the mitzvahs if one does not believe in the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's going to be hard to connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu if one does not believe that the Torah itself is divine. But other ones are going to be a little bit more difficult to understand. For example, it may sound a little surprising, but why is it necessary that a person has to believe in Mashiach in order to be a good and functioning Jew? At whatever point Mashiach comes, Mashiach will come. So why do I need to bother myself with that belief now? Why can't I go ahead and just study Torah and do mitzvahs and, and daven on a daily basis, go about my regular activities, and I'll be somewhat ambivalent as far as the, uh, the arrival of Mashiach or not. For some reason, it is a, an essential core belief that there's going to be this future event of the arrival of Mashiach. So we're going to, over the course of our, of our, our, our exploration of all of these principles, so we're going to have to, uh, that's going to be one of our main focuses uh, to make sure that we understand why it is that this is a core belief. Um, now, uh, another point which is, a, which is a important to be mindful of as we uh, discuss the 13 principles is that the Rambam, as I mentioned at the very outset, the Rambam took a lot of heat. Uh, and there was a lot of opposition to his formulation of the 13 principles. And there were different um, uh, oppositions, different positions which uh, other uh, rabbis adopted in their opposition of this, uh, of this idea. So one opposition is, that how could the Rambam go ahead and decide that these 13 beliefs are going to be, these are the core essential beliefs which every Jew must adopt to the exclusion of everything else. We have 613 mitzvahs. 
So how could the Rambam go ahead and from the 613 mitzvahs say, you know what, I'm going to identify these 13 as being essential beliefs. Now, many of the mitzvahs don't have to do with, uh, with beliefs, but well, how could he go ahead and identify these 13 principles as being essential, uh, almost to the exclusion of the others? Pre- precedent for this opposition, again, it's uh, for those who were... It's already a long time ago. It seems like a lifetime ago because it was before Corona. But at the beginning of Masechah's brachos, uh, in the new cycle of Dafyomi, less than uh, less than a year old, so the Gemara related that in the Beis Hamikdash, when they first started introducing a little bit of prayer, this is towards the end of the second Beis Hamikdash, towards the end of the second Beis Hamikdash era, when the uh, the Anche uh, Knesset Agdola saw the writing on the wall, as it were that the Beis HaMikdash is not going to be there for much longer. And this exile is not going to be this short hop, skip, and a jump of 70-year exile. This is going to be a long-haul type of exile. And if the Jewish people don't have the third pillar of avoda of service, which used to be defined as korbanos, so Klai Yisrael is going to be in big trouble. There's going to be a... Uh, there's going to be a uh, an imbalance in the way we're going to serve Hashem if we only have two of the three legs of the of the tripod, that only two of the three are, are there. So the Gemara tells us that, that they already began to uh, introduce concepts of davening in the time of the, towards, as we said, towards the end of the second Beis HaMikdash. One of the things which they used to say on a regular basis was the Aseris HaDibros. They used to read over the Ten Commandments. And the Gemara tells us that there was a suggestion that the Ten Commandments, the reading of the Ten Commandments, the Aseris Adibros, should be incorporated into the Siddur. That that should become part of our daily davening regimen is to mention the, uh, the Aseris Adibros. But for those who remember, the decision was made by Chazal that we are not going to include the Aseris Adibros in davening. And that's why it's not found there in davening. What's the reason why they didn't want to, uh, to include it? Certainly nobody's going to think that there's anything uh, oppositional. There's any reason to oppose uh, uh, one of those uh, 10 commandments as something which is essential. So why could anybody, it's like uh, opposing uh, baseball and apple pie. How could anybody go ahead and oppose the Aseris Hadibros? So the way the Gemara says it is, is that the, by uh, pulling out these 10 commandments, from the 613, from the totality of Torah, and incorporating them into davening to the exclusion of the other 603 mitzvahs, that could potentially lead somebody to the erroneous belief that the Torah is really, the Torah is only 10 mitzvahs, God only gave us 10 mitzvahs, and the other 603 were given to us by others. They're not divine, they may be divinely inspired, they may be uh, corollaries of the one, but they're not going to be on the same level as the other mitzvahs, as the Aseris Adibros. So in order to dispel that notion, and nobody should think that we are going to, uh, that uh, there is, uh, o- there are only 10 Dibros, there's only 10 commandments, and the other ones are, are not as important, so therefore they didn't uh, incorporate the, uh, the reading of Aseris Adibros into davening. So the same, the same thing says those who oppose the Rambam at this point. They said, how could you go ahead and identify these 13 principles and say that these are what are essential when we have many more than 13 principles? And how could you go ahead and, and, and do so? Um, okay. 
So now, so what, what, what does the, uh, the Rambam answer to that? What's his, his response to this? So he says that, um, that, uh, one of the principles which we're going to see of the Rambam is a, a, a corollary of the principle that the Torah is divine is the fact that this, uh, this, uh, this uh, belief, the Rambam tells us, that there is no Pusik in the Torah which is more important than another. Now, we're, right now, we're, we're in the partios of, we had an Embracius, we had a Noach, we have an Lech Lecha. We'll have it again in a few weeks. Uh, there are times at the end of Parshios, in the at the beginning of Sefer Bereshis, where the Torah uh, account, uh, recounts uh, a lot of genealogy. This one was this uh, he was this age when he had his son, and then after he had a son, he lived another this many years. And you just have pasuk after pasuk after pasuk with names and ages and fathers and sons and the in stuff of that the, that sort. And the Rambam's of the opinion that if the entire Torah is divine. So there's no pasuk which is more important than another, meaning these can be having to do with genealogy, which we just sort of run through because they go so quick and we're not going to be tested on them anyways. So why do I need to know these names and, and ages? Those psukim are no less than important than the pasuk of Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad. Now, obviously, we, uh, we would instinctively say that the Pasuk of Shema Yisrael is a much more fundamental and important Pasuk. It contains this core belief that Hashem is our, uh, uh, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. And certainly that, that, that's, that's true, that the Pasuk contains within it these uh, teaching of these fundamental beliefs about the nature of God. But in terms of the essence of Torah, there is no single Pasuk which is more or less important than the others. And therefore, based on that, the Rambam, since the Rambam maintains that to be true, so he wasn't concerned that somebody would think that if, you have, that if he identifies and enumerates 13 principles of belief, that that would lead somebody to believe that these are important and the other ones are less important. That's not, the, that's not something that the Rambam was, was fearful of because he is going to tell us about this fundamental belief, how everything is equally important. So now, uh, so then why, uh, if they're all equally important, they're all uh, 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 part of Torah, so then why did the Rambam go ahead and identify these 13 principles of belief? Why didn't he go ahead and just say, you know, in order to believe, uh, to uh, gain access to the world to come, you have to believe in the Torah from Bereshis, Bara Elohim, all the way to the end of Vizosa Baracha, Le'enei Ko Yisrael, and everything in between. And just leave it at that. You know, that would have been a, a much simpler way of doing so. He could have saved himself probably uh, days of writing to go ahead and formulate these 13 principles of belief. So why didn't he do so? So the answer to this, the, the muscle that, uh, they, that uh, they give as far as this is concerned, is like the human body. So we all know that with that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the... Uh, uh, the the Lassos, one of the great wonders of the of the body, the creation of the body, which Hakadosh uh, Baruch uh, uh, made, was the body's ability to go ahead and conserve and protect that which is most essential. Those of us who enjoy the cold, so uh, we know all of this to be true. That when a person is exposed to cold, in a harsh cold, so what happens is is that. The, uh, there are blood vessels in the, hand, in the extremities, in the hands and the feet, in the fingers and the toes, which will shunt 
they will close down so you're not getting blood flow because the blood which is flowing, that's warm blood. And as soon as the brain detects that it's really cold out or you're in a really cold environment, so the brain knows that the most important organs which it has to protect are the organs which are in the core. The heart has to stay, uh, has to stay pumping, the, the lungs, those things which are in your, your abdomen, those are much more essential and vital organs than the extremities of your fingers or toes. Person will survive perfectly well missing a toe or two, or missing a, you know, a couple of fingers, maybe a little bit awkward at time, but they'll be able to survive, uh, they'll be able to, to live without those uh, limbs. And the further uh, away you get, the further the extremity, so the more, in a sense, disposable it is, but there are those things which are when the court body temperature begins to drop, that's when there's actual danger. If your fingers get really cold, it's not such a big deal. Your core body temperature drops, then you're already entering into a, into, into a danger. So in the same way, the 613 mitzvahs, we know that there's 248 positive commands, 365 prohibitions, and those were, were taught, and everybody knows that they correspond to the various limbs and the sinews of the body. And Kabbalistically, we're told that, uh, that every mitzvah has a particular limb that it's associated with. And if you do that, the, that mitzvah, so then that limb will come alive at the time of Tchia Samesim, at the time of resurrection. That's why we try and tap into, or at least study all of the mitzvahs which exist, all 613 mitzvahs. That way we have those limbs will exist for us in the, in, in the, in the world to come. But just like of the, the 365, uh, the 248 and 365 limbs in sinews, so some of those are extremities. And in some ways they're disposable. And as much as you may enjoy having opposing thumbs and it makes uh, life uh, uh, a heck of a lot easier to have your uh, opposing thumbs, a person loses the thumb. So you get yourself a, a good OT or two or PT and you'll be able to go ahead and figure out how to, uh, to adapt. But there are vital organs, which if they shut down, there's no recovering from that. If the heart decides that it's gonna take a break for, uh, for a couple of hours, so the person is not going to be able to come back from that because that's one of the vital organs. If the brain decides, including the brain stem, if it decides that it's gonna go on vacation for, uh, for a week or two, and it's just going to, uh, to shut down for, for repairs, so then there's no recovering from that, uh, that either. So the entire body is obviously important, is essential for the person's, it's essential for the person's identity. But when push comes to shove, some things are more essential and some things are less essential. Some things are vital for the life to exist and others are not as important for, uh, for life to exist. And the Rambam identifies these 13 principles as uh, those which are the vital organs of a person's belief system. And other ones are important and they may add texture, they may add flavor, they may add color, they may add lots of different things to, uh, to a person's belief system, but there's only going to be a limited number of beliefs which are considered or put into the category of vital organs and those vital organs. So that's going to be the thing which, are, uh, which the, the Rambam goes at and, uh, and enumerates. Um, Okay, so I think this is a, uh, a good place for us to hold it uh, as far as uh, tonight. The next idea uh, of introduction is going to take longer than, uh, than, uh, than a minute. So we'll, uh, we'll hold it over here. If anybody has some, uh, some comments, some questions, some, uh, some something, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to address them. Otherwise, we will see you on uh, 
Thursday night. We're having a, another series which we started about, uh, the, the phrase occurred to me tonight. It's about halachas, uh, uh, an explanation of halacha. But I, I think the phrase we were, I was looking for was timely and timeless. So timeless, meaning those things which go all the way back to 2448, and timely are going to be those things which are relevant to our times now. So in some uh, future iteration of this, uh, this, uh, this idea, so we will, uh, we will subtitle it Timely and Timeless. But in the meantime, it's going to be a, an explanation of interesting uh, shilas which, uh, which come around. Um, I'll, I'll give you a sneak peek right now, just so you'll have something to share with others to encourage them to come. Uh, it's also, it, it's a very current uh, shila. Let's say you have, people told me uh, otherwise, but you have, you have two roommates, uh, uh, two uh, people who are studying in yeshiva in Yerushalayim, sharing a dira with one another, and one of them gets corona. So which of the two now has to move out of the apartment for the, uh, the period of isolation? Is it the person who's sick or the person who's not sick? Excellent, okay. So that's going to be the sneak peek of uh, what's coming up on Thursday night, the same time, same uh, Zoom address. Uh, I appreciate everybody. If anybody has any questions, I will address. Otherwise, I, or either way, I appreciate everybody coming and attending. Uh, please uh, encourage others to, uh, to join us in the, uh, in the process. Uh, obviously, uh, it's, uh, these are uh, important and essential beliefs. So, yeah, somebody was. Thank you very much, Rabbi Shaffel. All righty. Thank you. Have a good evening. Take care. Stay healthy, stay safe, and be well. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Oh, wait, do we get to know the answer? You have to come on Thursday night. What time is it on Thursday? Uh, 8.30. Okay. Oh, so the... The two series, both of them are 8.30 to 9.15 Tuesdays yeah. and Thursdays. I have a hard time differentiating between different times. So if we could just set a single time. So as, as, we, as, we, as some of us get older, so it's more difficult for us. I, I, can, I can really appreciate that. <laughs> okay, good. So that, that, that yeah, but that's what we're going to do. It'll be 8.30. All right. Show. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Be well, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay.